Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we get to look at the readings for the feast day of the Holy Trinity. If you would like to hear the readings, you can do so by listening to the readings podcast that was dropped before this podcast. So Holy Trinity comes after Pentecost and where we had the giving and receiving of the Holy Spirit, the disciples speaking in tongues. And I think it's interesting. The Holy Spirit's given. He gets his own special day. And then we talk about the Trinity. And before we pushed record, we were looking at the readings of Proverbs, Acts 2, and then St. John chapter 8. And we don't really have a specific, and the Holy Spirit shows up, or the Holy Spirit does this, or the Holy Spirit is. It's really about Jesus, and it's about Jesus' connection to the Father, which I think it's interesting then to say, this is Holy Trinity. And so, with that being said, I don't think there's any—we don't have to refashion, we don't have to uh, put this in a lens, we don't have to force the doctrine of the Trinity into these readings, but we also need to make sure that it is clear that the Trinity is actually always at work, and we need to see this and see how Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are at work even when— seems like one of the Trinity members isn't present or isn't active. One of our, uh, one of the professors at the seminary calls the Holy Spirit the shy person of the Trinity. Um, And sometimes we kind of, (laughs) we kind of treat treat the Holy Spirit as such, where uh, maybe we don't talk about the Holy Spirit as much as we should. But I think maybe coming off of uh, celebrating Pentecost, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's day. Yeah. And now we just kind (laughs) of, We kind of put him back in that shy position, but absolutely, as you as you said, we know that uh, the Trinity today is a fun day because we get to to contemplate and try to discuss um, something that we really cannot fully understand, which is this concept of uh, the Holy Trinity. But we're going to give it a shot, uh, and if if the Holy Spirit doesn't come out as clearly in the readings as God the Father and God the Son, um, no matter, because we get to say the Athanasian Creed during this service, so you get you get a full dose of uh, Trinitarian theology on display. And we get to say it with excitement yes. and... Uh... Absolutely. Now, I've been teasing uh, our Thursday Bible study group uh, because we talked about the catechism uh, a little while back, and um, when we got to the Holy Spirit, and we talked about the creeds, and I gave them ample warning that they had to memorize the Athanasian Creed. So uh, this will be this will be the time where we find out if those those uh, those who come to that Thursday study truly memorize the Athanasian Creed. Are we going to make him like stand up in the front and lead the Athanasian Creed? I think that'd be good. I, I think so. Loudly. Yeah. Clearly. Well, I also heard you say that uh, you were going to answer all the Trinitarian questions and present doctrine in its clearness and fullness. That sounds like a very uh, 
humble job of a vicar. Yeah, Jared. <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I really want to uh, talk about St. John chapter 8. And we have 48 through 59. We only have a couple verses. And this text is in a greater context because it seems like uh, Jesus and the Pharisees are talking and they only really exchange a few sentences together. And it ends with the Pharisees wanting to stone Jesus. It seems like they just met and then the Pharisees want to kill him. Like it escalated really, really quick, really fast. Like Jesus gave him the stink eye or something. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that's why when you get, um, you know, and the lectionary is great. It gives us a, a nice, robust story uh, of Jesus and his life. But here, if you miss the full context of John chapter 8, it might be a little puzzling why they're, they're so willing uh, to to stone him at the end of this passage so quickly yes but when you when you kind of put it in perspective of what's going on uh, right before this it makes a little more sense so yeah well, let's talk about uh, the the text as a whole and connected to the wholeness of, of chapter eight we really do have Jesus coming and talking to the Pharisees and with this and Vicar and I were wrestling with this before recording uh, the Pharisees don't want to accept Jesus. And they're antagonistic to the message of Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament, uh, the idea that he is the one who is bringing the truth of God and bearing God. And I think that's real important. But um, several times throughout uh, chapter 8, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. He's not backing down. Uh, he is showing them what well, basically the application of what they say they have. And the Pharisees, they're all law-orientated. They're self-righteous. If I do the law well enough, if I do enough to appease God, if I do the right sacrifices and so on and so forth. And many of these things actually become uh, things that they have made up to do to protect the law. So they've added ordinances or they've developed their own practices and laws to protect the law of God. And with this, they start looking to themselves for the fulfillment of all that God has given to them. And then Jesus shows up. And in essence, he's saying, you got the law. You got what God is saying in the Old Testament according to the law but you're missing what the law points to. The law points to the need for the gospel, the need for the fulfillment, the need of the Messiah. And guess what? I have arrived. I have come, and I am the fullness of everything that you have set up to believe. And then the Pharisees simply say, no. You are not the fulfillment. You are not the one. We're waiting for the real Messiah. We're waiting for the one who is going to come and conquer currently Rome or conquer the world or conquer whatever opposing power and establish this earthly kingdom. You as Joseph's son, you as carpenter, you as this uh, uppity upstart who brings a message that is not what we deem is correct, right, and salutary— you can't be him. And Jesus again says, no, I am the one. I'm the promised one. I'm the fulfillment, and so on and so forth. In fact, in this uh, chapter, he says, I am the truth, and the truth will set you free. And of course, the Pharisees say, we are the direct descendants of Abraham. When have we ever been enslaved to anyone? And you're bold enough to say, 
that you're going to set us free. And Jesus makes, he doesn't back down. Uh, you're living a lie and you're showing who you come from. And he flat out says that they're the children of the devil. And I don't think Jesus is being mean. I don't think he's poking the bear on this, but he's calling them out and they don't like it. And then we pick up our text. Well, before we, we get into our text, do you have anything else to add for chapter eight in its fullness? Well, all you all that you said is is really important to to keep in mind. And I think with that, you kind of ended with they're living a lie. And uh, you know, in that way, Jesus is <laughs> in a way, he's he's trying to uh, help these Pharisees see that they're living a lie because not only are they putting their trust in their lineage, saying mm -hmm. they're they're descendants of Abraham, um, but they're they're really uh, in their obsession to keep the law, they're thinking that that's what makes them righteous. And so chapter 8 starts with uh, the woman who is called, caught in adultery, right. and the Pharisees are ready to stone her to death. And of course, Jesus steps in and says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So he's starting to break down these walls of, uh, you're not perfect yourselves. Right. No matter how well you think you're keeping the law, you are not perfect. And that's where the the conflict really starts to escalate because you have, as you said, uh, he goes on to say that they're, <laughs> they're sons of the devil, which is, uh, you know, that one's got to sting a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and connecting himself, Jesus, connecting himself to God the Father, uh, and, and then saying, if you knew the Father— then you would know me. If you knew me, then you would know the Father. So there's that intimate connection between God the Son and God the Father that they do not understand, and it seems like they're not willing to understand it because they're looking to uh, to cast out this Jesus. So with all these kind of um, uh, this back and forth with the Pharisees and Jesus calling them out for trusting in the wrong things, children of being children of Abraham. Uh, being keepers of the law, putting their righteousness in the law, that kind of thing. Um, he's really calling them out, and then that kind of uh, culminates in the text that we have for today. Well, and then picking up uh, in verse 48, the Jews answered Jesus, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And I, I love this uh, because I think we're all really good at this. If we're losing a debate— because uh, we can't argue on idea or concept, you got to attack the person. And so the Pharisees, well, we figured it out. You're a Samaritan. You're one of those people. And on top of that, you have to have a demon because no righteous Jew would do what you're doing. So obviously you're not one of us. And on top of that, you have a demon. And I love how Jesus answers. And again, in my mind's eye, I think Jesus is really cool, really calm, collect, which really aggravates the, the Jews because they're, they're itching for a fight. And I, again, real calm. I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. You dishonor me. And again, I, I think this is a slap in the face because he's connecting himself to the father. Mm -hmm. uh, I have been sent by the father. I'm doing his work and you dishonor me. Uh, he throws himself in connection to them. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And again, the, the bigness of God, and then Jesus connecting himself to God. And one, once again, this does not compute with the Pharisees. 
they don't understand, and I appreciated how you brought that about. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. And it's not that they're dumb. It's not that they're stupid. They don't get the connection. They don't see Jesus as the fulfillment of what they believe or what they have. They don't see Jesus as the promised one. They see him as a, as a threat. And then verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And this is a huge statement. Um, and Vicar, you mentioned that you think that this is this is a Trinitarian statement. Yeah, I think if you're going to point to uh, the Holy Spirit anywhere in this particular text, uh, this is probably the verse for me, because um, we know, uh, not in this passage specifically, but from elsewhere in Scripture, that the only way that we can keep uh, the Word, mm -hmm. the Word made flesh, Jesus, the only way we can live in Him is through the Holy Spirit, is by the work of the Holy Spirit. So in essence here, um, you know, Jesus is kind of saying a couple things. He's really saying that when these Pharisees are attacking him, they're also attacking God the Father. Um, right. So that's kind of the first part. And then with this, uh, you know, there's this, if anyone keeps my word. And we know as good Christians, especially knowing our creed and as Lutheran Christians, our explanation that we put on that creed, specifically the third article talking about the Holy Spirit, we know that we cannot by our own reason or strength come to know Jesus. We can't keep his word on our own. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in, uh, gives us that faith and follows, uh, guides us, <laughs> follows, guides us into life in Christ, and that's where we can keep his word. So without the Holy Spirit, keeping the word of Christ is not possible. And that's precisely where these Pharisees are finding themselves. Uh, without the Holy Spirit, they're unable to keep his word. And so that's where you can start to make sense of why they, d they can't make sense of what Jesus is saying. No, I, I really appreciate that because it's the idea that the, the Pharisees are going to Jesus and saying, we got this. We're, we're fine. We don't need you. And then this would be the misapplication of what God has give, given to them, uh, what God has done for them. They've in essence said, nope, we're handling this. Our salvation is in our own hands. Our salvation is... Um, according to what we do, how we do it, when we do it, where we do it. And Jesus says no. And I appreciated that um, that that one word or phrase, keeps my word, is only done through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can't say that enough because at the end of the day, we're all Pharisees. I want to be God. I want to be the one responsible for my salvation. I want, well, to be God and do his His work for myself. And this really puts center stage the fact that uh, on our own, we can't understand exactly. the word. Right. Uh, because here when Jesus responds to the Pharisees and he's saying that, you know, if you keep my word, you're never going to see death. And they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That doesn't even make any sense. We all know everybody dies. That's just how life goes. Uh, but instead of saying, well, I think he's maybe maybe talking on a higher level level here. Maybe there's something more to this. Maybe this is figurative or, or he's trying to explain something greater. Let's ask him about it. They go, this is proof. Right. He is possessed by a demon because he's out of his mind. What yep. he's saying doesn't make any sense. Uh, so you see there without the spirit, uh, what Jesus is saying, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, they go to Abraham, the great prophet, Abraham, and they simply say, Abraham died. 
as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? And again, I love where they put the authority. Abraham did it. We're connected to him and Abraham did it. So our father Abraham, who died and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And I really wish Jesus would have said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> this would be the place to do it. And Jesus appropriately and rightly answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And I think this is just an amazing statement. Right there, Jesus has approached the Pharisees and has offered himself, offered all of God, and then calls them out. You say you belong to God, which means that you belong to me. You claim this is our Father, but you're saying everything contrary to what he has given to you, what he has pointed to you, what has he, what he has revealed to you. You have said no, and you said this is our God. I don't know what God you're talking about. And I, I think that's just a huge statement because, again, th this is the natural inclination of our sinful nature to make up our own God or to put God in a box or to make God do what we want because, well, God likes everything I like and God hates all the things that I hate. And so Jesus calling out and saying, you say he is our God, but he sent me and I am here for you and you're saying no. I, I think that's just a, a huge statement. And again, going back to Abraham and going back to death, and we'll, we'll get there in a second. And I think it's important to note here that Jesus isn't coming in and, uh, you know, overturning right. everything that's been established uh, in what we would now call the Old Testament, uh, you know. It wasn't old or new at that point, <laughs> but uh, he, he's not, you know, overthrowing that or, or changing everything. Uh, he's saying there's more to it than what you guys are seeing. And so they're kind of stuck in this way of thinking uh, about uh, uh, things that, that isn't the grand scope of things because they're stuck on this idea of this physical death. Right. And Jesus here is, is talking about a spiritual eternal, eternal yeah. death. And so he's trying to kind of enlighten them and, and push things a little further and explain things to them. And they are just not having it. Which again is really interesting because the Pharisees have no issue with the resurrection. They, they've never denied it. They're, they're very not open to it. They believe it. And they're looking forward to it. So I think it's interesting that they, they're, they're stuck on this physical death and they can't get past it, which I think you brought out uh, wonderfully in that they're missing the whole point. And they're, they're stuck and they can't see, they can't hear what Jesus is revealing to them because they do not have the Holy Spirit. Um, well, picking up on, on verse 55, but you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Oh, the, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And once again, we have Jesus pointing out who he is, first of all, in connection to the father, but then also points, your father Abraham, he was looking to me. He was looking for me. 
I'm the one who fulfilled everything that was given to him. And if you claim to be of Abraham, that means you're claiming to be of me. And of course, they don't want to hear this. And I, I love what Jesus says. And it's putting the Pharisees in the pro proper place, an appropriate place. This is the true application of the law. You're living a lie. And if I was to deny who and what I am and my connection to my father, I would be a liar like you. I'd be a sinner like you. I really, and I mean this sincerely, I cannot imagine how mad this made the Pharisees. And I, I do think that this shuts down the argument a little bit. I, and what I mean by that is I think the Pharisees are now just on attack. They're not trying to prove their point. They just want to defeat and crush Jesus any way they can. They, they don't care about the truth. They don't care about salvation. They don't care about being God's people. They just now see him as a threat, pure and simple. And again, please hear my, my humble thought on that. Um, I, I, I think they're—okay, I don't think—it is obvious they are missing the point on all of this. And I think it's important to note, uh, to that end— um, they aren't the only ones who right. don't understand Jesus. Yeah. I mean, you even have the disciples not understanding fully Jesus. Right, but but they ask questions. Yes. And they're, they're longing to understand. We don't get this, Jesus. Can you explain it? Right. And I think uh, my bigger point here is it's a little— um, it's a little easy to get confused by what Jesus was saying because it's so different and unlike anything that anyone's ever heard. Mm -hmm. And so um, there was a gospel reading a few weeks ago where the disciples, you know, Jesus starts speaking and, and they go, ah, he's finally not talking in yeah. figurative speech. Now we can understand him. Um, but that, that gets to this idea that Jesus is talking about things that um, are new in a way, mm -hmm. oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and they're different, but um, they take a little bit more thought. Uh, they take a little bit more to understand. Uh, we would say it takes the Holy Spirit to really understand what Jesus is talking about. And so um, these are kind of the two responses, and I think that kind of comes out nicely with the contrast here between the Pharisees and the disciples. Yeah. Um, you know, when the Pharisees don't understand Jesus, uh, they kind of accuse him of being possessed or what have you. When the disciples don't understand Jesus, they might just kind of ponder on it or, hmm, I wonder what he meant by that. Or they even ask him to explain it further. So you kind of see two different responses at hand with Jesus speaking of really his kingdom coming. No, I, I really appreciate that because the, the bigness of this and one of the things that, um, well, going back to the, the whole death aspect, we hear that the Pharisees, they're stuck on the, the earthly death, the physical death, and they've missed this spiritual death that they're actually living in or, or being a part of. Whereas the, the Pharisees or the disciples, um, I'm sure they got stuck on a lot of things but they were actively seeking, actively listening, and, and struggling appropriately. Uh, even this day with the scriptures open to us with the Holy Spirit, we still struggle. Uh, these are new things. And what I appreciated about what you just said, um, I mentioned that at heart we're all Pharisees. We want to be Pharisaical. We want to be law-oriented. But the whole idea that when Jesus shows up, this new thing that he's bringing is, is the fullness of God. We don't like that in a general sense. And I really appreciated 
how do we approach it? Do we stubbornly argue against God as if we're God, or do we humble ourselves and say, you know what, Jesus, this actually is really hard saying. I just am going to have simple faith. And this isn't, you know, throwing your hands up and, oh, Jesus will take care of everything. It's, you're bigger than me, and I trust you, again, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the revealing of the Father in Christ. And I like that, because now you got, how do you respond in faith or lack of faith? And I think that's a huge thing that we need to, well, frankly, remember as we approach any scripture. So the last closing verses. Uh, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So you said, verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, was the Trinitarian statement for you. I will go, and not challenging you, um, verse 58 that's my Trinitarian statement, the, the I am, because uh, it, it's bigger than Jesus, which, which is always weird to say. The whole idea that I am connects him to the Old Testament, obviously Moses, the burning bush, where you had God speaking and revealing his work, his plan for the redemption of Israel. And so Jesus saying, I am, I am God. And that's the fullness of the Trinity active right there. And I also think with the response that the Pharisees immediately do, kill him. That's a flat-out rejection to the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ, and the work of the Father. While they've been a little bit uh, perturbed and confused as to what he's trying to say up to this point, uh, this final statement here from Jesus in this text uh, comes across quite clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, that that Old Testament reference, as you mentioned, connecting himself to God the Father, claiming to be God. Yes. And then you understand, okay, they, they get what he's saying. Yeah. Which is why they're a little upset and why they want to stone him. Well, this was, this was a blasphemous thing to say. Nobody equates themselves to God. In fact, to use the word or the name Yahweh, you had to be really careful when you used it and how you used it. Because if a Pharisee deemed you um, misappropriated the word, the name or misused it, it was a stonable offense, as you see. So they picked up stones to throw at him. You were very careful. In fact, we um, you had all the other names and titles you would use for God to protect just in case you misused the, the, the name of God. So I, I think that's interesting that you bring that up, that the Pharisees really understood what Jesus was saying, but they denied it, mm-hmm. that he was, is God come to, coming to them. And the, the flat-out denial, I, I think that's huge. And this is really, I mean, this is Jesus' um, claim of eternal Pre-existence, yeah, uh, you know, and they, Christ. that might be a little lost on them in the moment, but um, you have to. For us, we have to kind of connect this to be to the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word 
was okay. So we have this connection to God mm-hmm. uh, being directly tied to Jesus, and now you start thinking, okay, so Jesus is God, and there's God the Father, and now we got God the Holy Spirit, and so all of these come together to form the Trinity, and Jesus here is expressing that that connectedness, that identification uh, to and as. God, uh, and that's why that's such a big deal. But it kind of that has to ring uh, John one one and following in our heads as we look at who Jesus is and what that really means for us. Well, yeah, and the connection to John one, uh, the idea that uh, Jesus, who comes to us as the Creator, the Redeemer, the Messiah, He comes to His own, and His own did not receive Him. And we see this clearly in this text. And the joy for us today is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to not only open our eyes, but our ears and our hearts so that we are actually in His Word, doing His Word, which means participating in the life of God as He sustains it here and now and forevermore. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.